Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, darling. You know, I had to take a deep breath before I actually came on mic just because of uh, certain events that happened throughout the course of the week. And I want to go ahead and welcome in my co-host. His name is Otto Strong. And you know, Otto, there are days in this industry that are difficult, that are frustrating, that you don't really know how to deal with. Uh, and certainly over the weekend, I think was one of those days, you know, learning just kind of the passing of not only Kobe Bryant, but also his 13-year-old daughter and Gianna, and then the seven other people that were involved in that helicopter crash. I'm still struggling processing this, what it means not only as a fan of the NBA, as someone who's worked in the NBA, but also as someone who watched him in his NBA career. And I can't imagine what this has been like for you, for someone who is a dad, who has covered the league for so long, and he was an icon. Yeah, well, I mean, first off, my, my heart goes out to the Bryant family. I mean, Vanessa um, having to to deal with the loss of her, not only her husband, but but one of her girls. Uh, I, I can't imagine what what that is like, and 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 having to to, to soldier on. Um, but you know, pro- professionally, um, you know, it, sitting there on the couch and had the laptop open, and then boom, I'm looking at words that I just I, I'm reading the words, but I'm not comprehending what I'm reading there. And um, you know, I, I I showed my wife, and she thought I was lying. I mean, she thought it was just a, a prank or a joke or something like that at first. And then you know, obviously re- realized it, sixty seconds later, CNN has it. A few seconds after that, their alerts start, start popping up, and and you realize that this that, that this is the truth, um, and it, it's it's just devastating. Um, I mean, I had uh, uh, like like so many of hundreds and thousands of people uh, diff- different types of remembrances, and I have, I have one that we'll get to later. But because uh, in his post basketball career, he was uh, I should say post playing career because he'll, he'll always be he'll always have a basketball career in my eyes. But post playing career, he was very active. Um, with youth sports and we can talk about more about that in a second, but um, um, I'm just not sure how, how, you know, how we're all going to recover from this. Yeah. It's still really tough just to find the words to not only describe him as a father, as a basketball player, as an icon, but also just, you know, for everything that he was doing in his post basketball life. And that's one thing I'm really excited about the guests that we're going to have on this show. Uh, it's Coach Dave Miller, and you know there are a few people in this world that not only coached against Kobe, but also covered Kobe on a day-to-day basis, but also had the family relationship that Dave Miller had, and that's one thing that we're going to get into. But 
you know, for someone who is a, a single man who does not have children to see the outpouring of support and what so many of the commentary has been about, it hasn't been about Kobe, the basketball player. It, it's been about Kobe, the father and Kobe, the role model. And, and I think that's one thing that really should be cemented. And one thing that really I'm happy that people are talking about, because so many times we talk about athletes just in what they did in the game and how they affected the game. But this is the first time in a long time, Otto, that I can remember that the conversation has shifted more towards what he did in his post-basketball life. And now we welcome Dave Miller, former assistant coach on Byron Scott's Hornet squad and a longtime member of the Lakers broadcast team. Coach, what can you tell us about uh, Kobe and, and what are your thoughts and remembrances at this point? Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I got a text on Sunday morning, and my first thought was, this has got to be fake. It, it can't be. Uh, I started to shake. I lost my breath. You know, my, my body felt numb. And quite frankly, I know it happened three days ago, but I'm still sort of in shock. You know, when you, when you think about Kobe, you know, he was 41 years young. His life was just getting started in that second chapter. And basketball made him global. You know, he, he was an iconic figure that was known by one name you know, and maybe one of the most recognizable faces on the planet. And, you know, when that happens, you're somebody and you've had an impact in the world. So in, in my mind and, and maybe more in my heart, I was like, this just wasn't supposed to happen. And, you know, I always looked at him as though, though he was invincible. And, you know, he masked injuries for 20 years. He played through injuries. And, you know, I, I, I sat in my car and I, I sort of I felt the same way I did when Michael Jackson passed. I think it was in either 2008 or 2009. And, you know, he was the king of pop, and, you know, Kobe was the black mamba that ruled L.A., and uh, it just, I, I, I just could not believe that I started to get text after text after text, and then finally when it was 100% confirmed, uh, it just really rocked my world. Yeah, Coach. Coach, and, you know, this is Aaron Berlin here, and, and I'm sitting here, and, you know, the things that you say are so reminiscent of the things that I felt, you know. Uh, th there are moments that I always think that, you're going to remember where you were, who sent you the text, who you were talking to at that moment. And certainly, you know, kind of realizing what had happened to Kobe was one of those. And, you know, one of the special things about you and Kobe is you guys were both Pennsylvania born and bred. I, I mean, let, let's take it back from, from when you first met Kobe, because you guys do share a special relationship. Well, it's amazing. I mean, we met 25 years ago in Teaneck, New Jersey. And if my memory's right, I think it was at Fairleigh Dickinson College. That's where Sonny Vaccaro used to have the ABCD camp. And, you know, I, I remember seeing him. I mean, physically, he looked like any other senior to be, um, you know. But when you looked in his eyes, it, it was just a much different look. And, you know, I don't know, swag probably, you know, I got swag from Swaggy P, one of his teammates. Uh, but, but back then, it was more a focus. It was more a confidence, almost bordering on arrogance. And growing up in Allentown, I was a huge 76er fan. I mean, that was my team. And his dad, you know, Joe Bryant, Jelly Bean, was on that team. But, you know, I, I, I became a coach, and my love for basketball started with, from number six, Dr. J. But, you know, what's crazy is we're, we're, we're both living in Pennsylvania, and then who knew we would both end up in L.A. in 1996? You know, I come here to coach in college uh, for Henry Bibby, who, by the way, was on that sixer team that I grew up loving. And, you know, so – I watched Kobe grow like all of Los Angeles did for those 20 years in the purple and gold. I was a college coach. Then I eventually coached against him in the NBA when I was on Byron's staff. And then I covered him, 
you know, as a Laker basketball analyst. So we quickly went from meeting 25 years ago from professional acquaintances to really good family friends because the one common denominator that Kobe and I had was that we not only loved basketball, we loved our families. And, uh, you know, what's funny, a lot of reporters would always say, what do you always talk to him about, you know, and why is he always motion you over and you know I would never tell them this then but I'll say it now we talked maybe 30 percent about basketball and then 70 percent he was asking about my son who has since then become a college coach my other son played football at San Diego State and you know our relationship really blossomed you know when I had a surprise daughter uh my 18 year old now she's a senior and you know I had a girl and obviously he had girls so that's really, you know, the basis of our, of our relationship is that we were both competitive. We both hated to lose, but we loved our families. Coach, what could you tell us about about um, what he was able to do with his with his daughters, and from from that perspective? I mean, you, you you touched on a little bit, but go a little bit deeper about speak to the passion and speak to you know the types of things that he would how he would get involved. Well, it was just amazing. You know, you, you, you think of guys that are great, and immediately, I'm sure I'm going to miss 100 guys, but Mike Krzyzewski only had daughters. And, and, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, only had daughters. And you're thinking, like, man, if I only had a son. You know, if Coach K had a son, he carries on the coaching torch. torch. If Kobe Bryant has a son, he carries it on. And he was able to find that place and, and, and decide, you know what, if I have a son, great, maybe I could have five more daughters. I'd be just as happy. So he did what all of us do when, when you have girls. You know, I had two boys. I had their 30 and 28 now, the boys. But when I had Sammy 18 years ago, my life changed. And, you know, everything was boys basketball. And I never had a girls basketball camp. And since then, you know, I have a, 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 a girls only basketball camp. They're your kids. And if, you know, I'm sure if Kobe's daughter, you know, if she chose to be a piano player, uh, he would have done the same thing in that field, but she wanted to play basketball. And she had the same DNA that Kobe had. And it, it's no different than any other dad. You know, we can talk about everything he did on a basketball court, but when it comes down to it, he's no different of a dad than anybody that's going to listen to this podcast. You love your kids, you find out what they like, and then you do everything that you can within your control to make things happen. Coach, I, I love that so much because, you, you know, one of the commonalities, and I think really people have started to kind of talk about this, is just how happy Kobe was in his post-basketball life. And, you know, you spoke about it, about being a dad, being there for his children, being there for his wife, Vanessa, because during his playing days, you know, so much of the focus was on being Kobe, the basketball player. But also one thing that Kobe was, and, you know, he was a champion for not only his daughters, but also for women's athletics because of his daughters. Can you kind of speak to, you know, I'm sure being in LA and around the Sparks and around the Lakers, there's some kind of not only disappointment from the Lakers side, but, you know, for the Sparks, I'm sure so many of them, had relationships with them. You would see him at, at courtside seats at Sparks games. Just how tough is this, not only for the Lakers community, but also for the WNBA? It's just numbing. And uh, yeah, not just the WNBA. I mean, everything you said was point on, but just for the world, for every little girl that wants to play basketball, for every dad that has a daughter that wants to put her in a position, and maybe not basketball, maybe soccer, you know, maybe swimming, maybe gymnastics. But what he was able to do is, and, and the great ones always have this power, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You're under a microscope, but when, when Kobe can buy in and go to a WNBA game, I mean, we've seen Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, 
you know, I, I, and I'm leaving out so many others because I, I was a analyst for the Sparks in the offseason, and the NBA players would buy in, and they understand what these gals are going through, and it's not an equal playing field. You know, in the NBA, we get on charters. In the WNBA, you might have two connecting flights to get where you're going. And, and you're not staying at the Ritz-Carlton. You might stay at a Marriott, but there's a big difference. So, you know, I think that's a devastating loss for just women athletics, for women administrators in college athletics to have somebody that had such an impact on basketball globally to now not be there and to represent and to be able to show his face and give them the credibility that they deserve. Coach, there is no question that Kobe was all that and more. And um, my hope is that that somebody will, will t- pick up the mantle you know, there and, and run with it. Um, in our last few minutes, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, what is your greatest remembrance of Kobe? And I'm not talking about the 81 points of the 61. Give us something that, that you know, only you would have seen, you know, behind the lines, uh, something that you would have experienced, uh, maybe something from practice or something that, that would shine a light on him the, you know, to go along with all the other stories we've heard recently. I'll tell you, I'm glad you left out the basketball because we could do a whole podcast on his accomplishment and his accolades. But, you know, here are little things that ran through my mind on, on Sunday night. And this is going to sound extremely corny, but every time I got a haircut, and for those that don't know me, you know, they can, they can look me up on Twitter at Coach Dave Miller. I'm follically challenged, if that's the word. Um, I, you know, my, my hairline has not worked for me for a long time. And every time my wife would take those Costco clippers and she'd go through and give me a buzz cut, he would notice. And, and, and no one else would. People in the studio, my, my good friends that I saw every day at work, Nobody would know when I got a haircut and Kobe would, I'd walk in and at the end of practice, we'd get done interviewing. And some days when he didn't interview, he'd walk by me and he'd go, nice cut. You're looking clean. You know, and finally I used to tell him it was a Costco cut and, you know, he'd make a reference about the Costco clippers and it speaks to, he noticed everything. If you were in his world, he cared about you. If you were in his world, he cared about your wife and he cared about your kids. He just, there was just something about him. That, that, that he noticed things. You know, then later I got the, the Laker analyst job. I was two years on the radio on 710 ESPN. And he comes into studio for an interview, you know, and, and in front of everybody, he says to me, he says, damn, do you look good? And I thought he meant because I had on a fancy suit. And right out loud, he goes, you've lost 10 pounds. You've trimmed down. You look good, coach. And what's crazy about that story is I went from 190 to 180. He had it. He had it right on the nose exactly, you know, how much weight I lost. And, you know, the other things that will mean the world to me as I try and mourn and, and get my life back together is that I mentioned, you know, the connection we had with being dads of daughters is that, you know, my daughter, Sammy, um, last April, I think it was, she's a junior in high school. She decided she wanted to be Doris Burke. You know, she wants to become a sideline reporter, an analyst. She wants to be on TV, a broadcaster. So she comes up with her Twitter handle, at Sideline Sammy. And by the end of the day, Kobe Bryant is following Sideline Sammy. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, he was her hero because she, every one of my kids was born somewhere else. You know, uh, I had one son born when I was in Phoenix at Arizona State. I had another son born in New York when I was at West Point. Then we moved to Los Angeles and moved to Manhattan Beach. I had Sammy. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think he follows 520 or 25 people, and he's followed by 15 million. He followed my daughter. 
And and I mean, if you go to her, if you go to her Twitter, she has that pinned, I guess they call it, as the number one that you know her idol, you know, followed her. And you know, then just the conversations we had about my son. I mentioned coaching in college and my other son playing playing football. Those were the things that that made you know the black mamba, the fiercest guy on the court, the most competitive guy in the world, just like a guy that you would talk to at the country club. Coach, I, I cannot tell you how big of a smile I have on my face right now, just listening from that story. And I wish that we had so much more time to go deeply into this, but we have to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. And, you know, it, it's certainly been tough circumstances to come on this show, and we wish that they were better. But I, I can't tell you how thankful we are for you coming on and sharing some of these stories. Well, no, I, I really appreciate it. And before I go, I'd be remiss. And, and I know I got to get into a meeting here. But, you know, the, the, the one thing that I would leave fans of basketball, not particularly, you don't have to be a Kobe fan. You, you could wear that green up in Boston, you know, in New England where my wife's from. Uh, but, but I think that you have to understand the beast. And uh, Kobe Bryant didn't love to win. He just hated to lose, and he hated to lose at anything, and I, and I mentioned it. You know, sometimes it was a blessing. Sometimes it was a curse. You know, if you were on board, some guys had the ride of a lifetime, and if you weren't, you know, you just weren't in his universe. And he alienated a lot of people. He didn't have a posse. You know, he was so approachable if he trusted you. He looked in the mirror. He answered to himself. Um, you know, he was the ultimate competitor. And, and the greatest thing was he wanted to be like Mike. I had conversations with him. He, he grew up wanting to be like Mike. I mean, he looked at his mannerisms. You know, he looked at how he stuck his tongue out. But the great thing about Kobe is he figured out for the next generation, how do I get people to want to be like Kobe? You know, and they did. And you, you just – you talk about such a complex cat. You know, he had a disdain for the average. He approached every day like it was an NBA final so that he could get to the real one in June. And, you know, the last thing I'm going to leave you with, and I talked to him about this one day after a practice, he worked like a 12th man hanging on to a roster spot instead of an iconic player. And, and I asked him, how do you get through that every day? And he just said, Coach, I, I play games within the game. And I don't have enough time to go into that fully, but – that's what kept him on edge. He was never satisfied. He watched so much tape. And for young players out there, and, and what I've given my kids and players that I've coached and ones that I work out now in the summer in the NBA offseason, you've got to have short-term goals. You've got to have long-term goals in the season. But more importantly, it's the offseason where Kobe got better. He was never outworked. Um, he learned from defeat, and he lived every day to get better. And uh, th th this world um, – this world is really missing a competitor, but more importantly, they're missing a great dad, a great husband, and I lost a great friend. Coach, I, I can't tell you how thankful we are for this. This has been tremendous, and, and you're right. The world did not only lose an amazing athlete, but an even better dad. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the time and letting me talk about someone that was very special. Wow, that was some incredible stuff from Coach Dave. I mean, uh, that's uh, that's a lot. But um, you know, I, I think about of all of the, the things in, his, in Kobe's playing career, I think about one one moment that I saw when I was uh, at, actually at Madison Square Garden. It's February two thousand nine, and Kobe. Uh, that was the night that he scored sixty one at the Garden, which at the time was a Madison Square Garden record. What folks didn't know at the time uh, was that Kobe was actually um, about to 
uh, he was in, in process of doing a documentary oh, with um, with Spike Lee. And so um, before the game, um, it was it was set up it was set up where where, where Kobe and, and Spike were going to do a documentary, and the documentary was called Doing Work. Um, Kobe goes off for 61 points. And after the game, as people are moving through the elevators to leave the building, um, uh, Kobe was shouting at, at Spike saying, it's your fault, it's your fault. And what he was basically was saying was once Kobe knew that it was, they were doing a documentary uh, on, on, the, on the game, um, Kobe decided to really go all in and light, and light up the Knicks. Uh, obviously, the Lakers won that night. That was the year that they uh, won their first of, uh, of two titles. Uh, and it was an incredible night. And Aaron, um, uh, you know, I know we've all seen moments of, of players kind of taking it to another level, but that was, uh, that was really extra special, man. Yeah, there, there was the night where he went for 61, you, you know, the 80-point game, and then his final game where he goes for 60 in the Staples Center where, you know, I think he made the comment on the court where he goes, you know, I spent years – living with teammates who would just say, Kobe, pass the ball, pass the ball. And then nobody wanted to, nobody wanted me to pass him the ball on that night. And, you, you know, the thing that I really resonate with on um, what Coach Dave said is there was a moment where he talked about Michael Jackson's death, right? And, you, you know, for, for you, Otto, you probably resonate with that because you grew up in MJ's prime. I, I didn't grow up in MJ's prime. You know, when Michael Jackson died, you know, he'd kind of – uh, not only had his had his success, but he'd also had his downfalls. And so I wasn't as emotionally connected uh, to Michael Jackson as I think a lot of people were. But, you know, for Kobe dying, this is really the first icon or, or mega athlete or just, you know, something along the lines of not expected, where you almost feel like you were robbed of, you got to know Kobe, you got to live with Kobe, you got to be around Kobe as an athlete, but we hadn't got to see Kobe in kind of that post-basketball life. You know, he kind of finally seemed like someone who was content with what he was doing. And you and I know, we, we've covered basketball players for years. We've covered athletes for years. And so many athletes have a hard time dealing with life after sports. They miss the grind. They miss the ritual. They miss the structure of it. And because they've grown up as kids in a system where they're used to it, where it's all that they know, and then to have that kind of abruptly end, and now you're supposed to live this secondary life, Kobe was succeeding in that. And, you know, for me, the thing that I resonate with is, you know, I grew up with Kobe more so than I grew up with LeBron, right? Like LeBron entered the league in 2003, and by then I was uh, an eighth grader, I was about to enter high school. I knew Kobe from my infancy, you know, from watching basketball at such a young age. You know, he entered the draft in 1996, and I think he got his first title in 2003, or maybe it was 2000. Um, but, you know, when, when you hit that level, that's what's so heartfelt about it for me is that I just grew up with Kobe, and it's why I'm having such a hard time with this because I've never had an athlete or an icon or anyone that I grew up watching, let alone covering, have this happen to and so it's I'm, I'm rambling here obviously but this is a very tough time for me no i i told i look i totally understand and appreciate where you're coming from um so about michael jackson 2009 just uh, that was actually nba draft night and i remember because the crew of us were walking from espn's office on 34th street to madison square garden for the draft and it, it was, you know, kind of a similar thing, you know, TMZ is reporting and like, this is, this cannot be happening. And that's, that's exactly what happened. But, and also to your point, 
I would have been very interested to see, much like Kobe in his, in his you know his next chapter and in, in what he obviously he was on the on the path of of, of becoming an advocate for youth sports and, and girl sports in particular. I would have obviously loved to have seen what you know Kobe at fifty, what Kobe at sixty, what Kobe at seventy, at Kobe at eighty would have been like, and I would have been interested to see what that would have been like for Michael Jackson. I mean, uh, you know, per- personal demons on Michael Jackson, of course, we understand that, but from a creative standpoint, from the yeah. from the talent standpoint you wonder what that could have been like all of the artists and talent that that he would have helped nurture and, and work with over the years and, and it's not uh, just that Otto. it's how he had become a champion for so many things that weren't basketball related like right like he had become a champion for women in athletics you know his daughter wanted to play in the wmba and so he started taking her around basketball circles and being involved and you know kind of just some of the wisdom that he shared you know so much of what I think as sports fans, we remember about Kobe was the Mamba mentality, right? And, you know, kind of the ultimate moment of that, or at least I relate it to, is the competitive spirit, the fire that burned hotter than anybody else, and then just kind of the will to win. But, you know, there was another side of Kobe that I think we were finally getting to see, and you could just see the joy in some of the pictures with his daughter, with his family, that that was where he wanted to be. And, you know, when I, when I speak of, you know, we feel robbed of those moments, I'm also talking about, you know, we're not going to get those moments of him sitting courtside with Gianna and his young daughters, you know, at the Staples Center, whether that's at a Lakers game or a Sparks game. We're not going to get him to see, see him at Super Bowls representing the NBA. And, you know, he did it in such a good light kind of after some of the trouble that he had early on in his career and how he'd kind of repurposed his image and redone some things. And it's just a shame that we're not going to get to see that. And, you know, my favorite moment for Kobe, at least, and I'm, I'm sure we all have, I mean, I have a special story that I'm going to share about, you know, just covering him in his last game at the Amway Center. But, you know, at least from living in an Orlando perspective of that 2009 finals run, you know, that the Magic were on against the Lakers in that finals appearance. And, you know, the one play that really sticks out is Matt Barnes trying to inbound the play. And, you know, Kobe's sitting there right on top of him, hands up, and he goes to fake the basketball on his face, and he doesn't even flinch. And, you know, for me, that was the definition of a Mamba mentality. It was locked in, it was laser focused, and it was a competitive fire. And I'm just going to miss that. And it's frustrating, and it's angry, and it's so many different things. But, you know, he was a tremendous athlete, but we really started to see that he was an even better person off the court. Uh, absolutely. I mean, with respect to to the kind of the off the court and the and the post basketball career, I mean, I would like to to, to share one thing. Um, some people may not know that, that Kobe was actively involved in a in a in an effort called Project Play, which is a program within the Aspen Institute uh, sports and so, sports and society team. And Project Play basically is a, is a, a mission that's designed to encourage uh, tweens, uh, young adults, to keep playing sports because the trend line nationally over the last decade has been for sports to go down. So um, a campaign was created called Don't Retire Kid. And the, and the athlete who's, who was going to be and was the face of that initially was Kobe Bryant. Um, and uh, my relationship uh, was that I was a, a consultant with Aspen, so I was working on the creative campaign, uh, negotiating between ESPN, who was a major partner, um, the, the folks who created the spot, uh, Kobe's team, uh, and Aspen. And I kind of was at the kind of the nexus of all of that. And so there were there were there were, there were scripts and there were various uh, types of uh, editorial work that that we were uh, pursuing, working on, and. Um, 
Kobe being kind of the, the that guy who was going to outwork you and that guy who was going to make sure that, that you know, the thing was going to read the way he wanted it to read or needed it to read. I mean, let, you know, let's face it, the guy, the guy who did win an Oscar, he knows a thing or two about, about, about talent um, and about scripts and such. So uh, we would send him stuff that, that, that we wanted him to, to, to read. And he, on many occasions, would be like, no, nah, that's not good enough. <laughs> and so he would kind of kick it back and, and, and just wanted, wanted to be in a different message and different voice because he, he saw himself saying it in a different way. And again, it, it's all from a place of love. It was all from a place of trying to get the most out of people. Again, you know, whether that was, you know, as, and we've all seen this, whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's in the, in the film editing room, whether it was a script, you know, whether it was obviously, as we've seen, working with his, his daughter on, on a post move or whatever, fadeaway jumper or whatever it was. You know, Kobe was all about wanting to be the best, wanting you know, to, to get that out of you. And whatever your passion, whatever your, you know, you could have been a chef, you know, make the best meal. You, you know, you could have been an author, write the best book, you're going to be a teacher, teach the best lesson. Uh, and that's essentially what we get, what we're, what we're, when we're, we're talking about mama mentality, that essentially is, is, um, is what it's all about. And so, you know, for, for, for me and, and Aaron and everybody else, um, you know, just, just, um, we're going to take that mama mentality and we're going to, we're going to keep pushing it forward. We're, we're going to try at least. And, you know, that is such a good point. And I thought coach Dave hit on it really well that, you know, if you were in his circle within his universe, you know, he took notice, he took part of what you were doing and he wanted to be a part of your stratosphere or your lifestyle. And, and you know, just that story that you told spoke that, you know, if he was doing something, he wasn't half in, he was all in and he wanted to make sure that it was the absolute best that he could do. And, you know, my personal story is, when I entered the NBA, it was 2014, so Kobe was about on his way out. My second year was his final visit to the Amway Center. And if everyone remembers, you know, Kobe's farewell tour, at least among NBA circles, is he was very determined to make sure that if the Lakers were visiting an opposing team's arena, that he was healthy, that he was ready, and that he could play in that basketball game because he recognized that you know, especially if a Western Conference team is visiting an Eastern Conference opponent, that's the only time that they go there. And so it was important for him to make sure because he knew the value of not only his place among the NBA as far as what he meant to his fans, too. And he knew that he had fans not only in Los Angeles, but across the U.S. and across the world. And, and so when he was coming into the Amway Center, you know, we did these features at halftime and they were basically five to six minute long uh, story pieces or journalistic pieces. And so what I decided to do that day was I was just going to ask a lot of the players what Kobe meant to them. Because the amazing thing about NBA players is, you know, they skew on the younger side. You know, I think the average NBA player is probably 24 years old. You know, by the time you're drafted, you're usually 18 or 19 years old, and you might even be younger. And so in, in 2015, you know, those were a lot of kids that grew up watching Kobe. And, you know, we, we speak about LeBron and his importance, but what you have to remember is so many NBA players, I think right now at least, grew up watching Kobe and emulating Kobe, you know, and you mentioned it, the, the baseline jumpers, the fadeaways, you know, yelling Kobe as they throw the basketball into the hoop or into the trash can or wherever you're throwing it. And, you know, the, the thing that I kept going back to on this piece is so many players resonated with that. And so many of them kept saying that, you know, you could define him by one word, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. And Coach Dave spoke to that, that, you know, there's few athletes, there's few people in this world that 
when you can be identified by just your first name, you know, you've really made it. And that was the one thing. It was my second year working in the NBA. And, you know, I'd come from working in baseball and being around more of a team atmosphere. Uh, And so I was still kind of learning the stratosphere of what superstardom meant. And Kobe carried that. And he carried that, that um, pole and he knew exactly what it meant. And he was an icon to not only fans, but also players that wanted to be him. And so that was one thing that I took away from that. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to our guest, Coach Dave Miller, who spent so many years with Kobe in Los Angeles. We really appreciated hearing his personal reflections on the man whose loss leaves an enormous void in the basketball universe. Thanks also to our producers, Bruce Bernstein and Scott Turkin, as well as our editor, Ben Wolfen. And as always, just a reminder to check out the Pure Hoops Media Show's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt comes your way on Thursday each week. Monica's special guest tomorrow is expected to be J.A. Adande, who covered Kobe and the Lakers for two decades in the Los Angeles Times and then at ESPN. The Pure Hoops Podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman drops every Friday. B.J. played against Kobe for four seasons, and he will share more reflections on their relationship. And finally, Mike Weiss swings by each Monday with the Mike Weiss Show. His most recent show was a late night conversation where he shared his best Kobe stories and I cannot tell you how good of a listen that is as always please download rate and review all of our shows you guys have no idea how far that goes for us it really does make a difference and as always Otto and I will see you guys next week Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media